0: So Nick, now that I'm starting MFM Fellowship, I'm realizing that I'm very quickly losing my GYN knowledge.
1: I know, right? We did this episode on vulvar disease and I was like, oh my God, vulvar disease. I have already lost all of my knowledge of that. Where did you find any information about GYN, Faye?
0: So thankfully, the OBG project has all of their up-to-date information on both OB and GYN information um, that you can access online at any point.
1: Fortunately, I've kept up with that subscription only OBG First, which allows me to bookmark articles and summaries into my own personal library so I can find those things again that I need for studying for the boards.
0: So if you are a fourth year resident, you can sign up for one year for OBG First absolutely free. And trust me, it is very, very much worth it.
1: Head on over to our website, creogsovercoffee.com, check out the sidebar and see how you too can get a free year of OBG First as a chief resident.
0: guys, welcome back. This is Faye. This is Nick. And this is Creon's Creons Over Coffee. So today we're going to be tackling a rather interesting topic. We are going to be talking about oxygen in labor, friend or foe. Full disclosure, Nick named this episode, not me. (laughs) (laughs) So Nick, what are our learning objectives for today?
1: Yeah, so we're going to talk about the debate surrounding supplemental oxygen in medicine, generally speaking. Um, and then we'll sort of tailor that down and we'll review the literature available regarding oxygen and fetal resuscitation and pepper in some stuff again about fetal physiology and cord gases that we've seen in our previous episodes and in the end though I think we've got an opinion we'll leave it up to you guys to decide quick shout out to Chelsea Jorgensen um, who's one of the charge nurses at the University of Washington for the episode idea and really pressing us to get this one done because I think it actually is a lot of fun all right Faye so oxygen friend or foe or is it just a drug (laughs)
0: So, I mean, oxygen is a drug. The FDA does regulate medical gases like oxygen as a drug. So in the eyes of our government, at least, yes, it's a drug. Um, But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's good or bad. The FDA does approve oxygen for the indications of hypoxia and hypoxemia. And until preparing for this episode, I had no idea that these two things were different.
1: Yeah, no, they sound the same.
0: I just use them interchangeably and probably sounded very silly to all the medicine doctors out there. So the definition of hypoxemia is the reduced partial pressure of O2 in the blood. So a low PAO2 is what you'll see hypoxia is actually the reduced tissue levels of O2, so that cellular metabolism is impaired. So hypoxemia generally precedes hypoxia, which makes sense, right? If there's lowered partial pressure of oxygen in the blood, then there is likely going to be reduced tissue levels of oxygen too, and then that can also lead to cellular metabolism impairment. However, hypoxemia does not necessarily always result in hypoxia. For example, for those who live at high altitudes and there is low, lower oxygen pressure all around, they can be hypoxemic, but they are not necessarily hypoxic. Obviously, we all need oxygen. So oxygen definitely has benefits, but there are also potential harms. Let's talk about that, Nick.
1: Yeah. So we'll kind of, I'm going to fully admit that there's an awesome series in the Journal of Hospital Medicine called Things We Do for No Reason. Um, And they actually tackled this topic in medicine um, about supplemental oxygen use without hypoxia They point out that many studies, mostly in animal models, have demonstrated that hyperoxygenation leads to a lot of badness. There's lung injury that results, inflammation through free radical generation, changes in perfusion even that actually may be harmful and wholly associated just with the addition of oxygen. They've also pointed out a couple of clinical examples too that I think are important to review and again stage our conversation. One of the most historic or notable is probably with COPD. Um, I think many of us probably remember from a medicine rotation once upon a time that oxygen in COPD is not actually goal titrated to like ninety-eight to hundred percent, but it's actually eighty-eight to ninety-two percent. And the reason that this is is there are actually randomized trials that demonstrated that oxygen titrated to higher goals above ninety-two percent was associated with a double increased mortality risk. Um, cellular studies have demonstrated this is likely due to a number of things, but this can be linked most likely to worsened ventilation perfusion matching and poorer offloading of carbon dioxide as the pressure of oxygen rises in the blood. And this particular phenomenon again with sort of holding on to CO2 even if you're hypercarbic with a rise in PaO2 is known as the Haldane effect. Um, for those of you who really want to throw it back.
0: This is becoming (laughs) painful and making me remember my third year internal medicine rotation.
1: Yeah. So another good example, Faye, are myocardial infarctions. Um, And this is surprising to me because, like, I think we all learn in medical school, like MONA, right? The morphine, oxygen, nitroglycerin, aspirin. There's a randomized trial as far back as 1976 that randomized patients to room air versus receiving oxygen at six liters per minute in those with suspected MI. And patients who received oxygen for more than 24 hours had more episodes of tachycardia, with no improvement in their mortality, no improvement in their use of analgesics, and no improvement in the size of their cardiac infarct. Subsequent trials since 1976 have consistently demonstrated similar outcomes. And actually, some have demonstrated an increased rate in MI recurrence, actually, with oxygen use. And thus, within the last couple of years, the European Society of Cardiology has actually recommended not using oxygen, unless you demonstrate that oxygen saturation is less than 90% in cardiac arrest patients, which I thought was super interesting. And I probably never would have learned otherwise, except for our deep dive on oxygen today. Um, <laughs> hey, and I think there's a lot of other illnesses too, that's kind of are linked to poor outcomes with oxygen.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And one of those is actually, you know, um, something that we might see from our patients Uh, premature babies and that's retinopathy of prematurity so that's actually why our NICU colleagues are no longer saturating or basically just giving these premature babies 100% FIO2 all the time because they started to notice that these babies started to develop retinopathy of prematurity. In terms of other illnesses there have been trials in the settings um, of things from like ICU admissions, strokes, traumatic brain injuries and even cardiac arrests that have also linked liberal O2 use. um, going even from as little as 2 liters nasal cannula upwards to increase mortality and other adverse events. Um, there was also a meta-analysis that demonstrated a dose-dependent toxicity. So for every 1% increase of SpO2 above 94 to 96%, there was a 25% relative increase in in-hospital mortality. So in this case, definitely oxygen can be used to harm. All right, Nick, so I mean... We've talked about all the badness of oxygen. So now you're like, you know, prompting me to go around to like rip oxygen off of all of our patients. Um, But like, it has to be helpful sometimes, right?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, you know, the sort of, we can state the obvious again, um, is that patients who need oxygen, meaning they're hypoxic, will benefit from oxygen. Um, These studies that we just mentioned importantly look at patients who are otherwise normoxemic, so they're, they have normal oxygen saturation. They're not hypoxic or hypoxemic, and they get supplemental oxygen. And in those situations, their outcomes worsen. So that's the real big differentiator here. Patients who have conditions that merit oxygen, such as carbon monoxide poisoning, cluster headaches, sickle cell crisis, pneumothorax, all of those patients will benefit from oxygen. Um, those are actual indications for the drug. But just like when we use beta for a particular reason, it has an indication, right? We don't give it to everybody. Um, and I guess speaking of, Faye, we've kind of conveniently avoided pregnancy and oxygen up until now.
0: Yeah, so I think – What we had seen, at least um, when we were training back as like interns, maybe even all the way through third year of residency, was that you see a tracing, the tracing may not look so great, Um, you know, maybe there's variables, maybe the variability has kind of gone away to minimal variability, or there's lots of D-cells, you walk in the room, the nurse is like moving the patient from side to side, they've started a bolus, and invariably every single patient... Had oxygen on, whether it was two liters, four liters, 10 liters, whatever it is, every single patient had oxygen on. And, you know, I think it kind of makes sense, right? You're trying to improve a fetal status, and you think that maybe the baby is somehow becoming acidotic from a respiratory perspective. So maybe these decelerations reflect fetal hypoxia. And so if we're giving more oxygen to the mom, maybe we're forcing some of that oxygen through the placental circulation and that's getting towards the baby. And maybe that'll fix the tracing. Let's kind of look a little bit into, you know, why people have used oxygen and why people, you know, now I feel like after our fourth year of residency, no one really is using oxygen. So talk to me a little bit about that, Nick. What is our pro-oxygen evidence here?
1: Yeah. So you can find evidence again on both sides, but the pro-oxygen evidence really links back to technology that we're not using in labor anymore, but was much more common several years ago, and that's fetal pulse oximetry. So fetal pulse oximeter was uh, exactly what it sounds like. It's a little device that got clipped up onto the ear of fetus, and it measured oxygen saturation. Um, It's actually shown to be pretty accurate in terms of measuring Oxygenation of the fetus. And two small studies that looked at oxygenation in laboring women's fetuses demonstrated increased oxygenation in the fetus of 5% with simple face mask use and 7 to 15% when using non rebreathers in non hypoxic fetuses. In hypoxic fetuses, the observed benefit was actually much greater, up to 20% with a simple face mask and 26 to 37% with a non rebreather. Sort of the caveat and criticism to this is that fetal pulse oximetry, though seeming like it would be a great intervention in terms of determining hypoxic or not hypoxic, um, didn't do anything to improve rates of cesarean delivery for fetal indications and then just didn't catch on as technology because of that. So, Again, you might argue that it's hard to interpret these studies in the context of whether oxygen is going to improve, bottom line, the neonatal outcomes, or if it just makes those saturation numbers better and makes us feel better. Um, Faye, on the other side, there's also some anti evidence, I guess you'd say.
0: So we're going to talk about a few studies that are anti-oxygen. So the first is a fetal scalp pH study. There was a small study that looked at the effect of administering 50 to 100% oxygen during the first stage of labor, and they saw that there was actually no effect on fetal scalp pH um, and actually trended towards a worsening base deficit with supplemental oxygen use for the mother. Um, Another study of primates showed that administering O2 um, with acidotic fetuses by scalp pH actually demonstrated worsening acidosis when they gave them oxygen. These studies, like the others, are small. They're non-randomized, obviously. And there's also criticism in terms of timing and application of oxygen in each of these trials. So take it with a grain of salt. There are other um, studies that look at non-inferiority. So in 2018, there was a randomized control trial in JAMA that used a non-inferiority approach to randomize 114 patients to either getting supplemental oxygen versus room air with a category 2 electronic fetal monitor. They found that there was no difference between the groups in terms of improving umbilical artery lactate, which was their primary marker for this trial. So overall, there was also no difference in other cord gas components or rates of cesarean delivery for fetal indications. So that seems pretty good, right? Oxygen doesn't seem to help at all. It's not better or worse. There was some criticism for this trial, though, that the umbilical artery lactate, um, which does have some ability to predict hypoxia-associated morbidity in neonates, but it is not really sensitive or specific for poor outcomes, um, which you know I think is a pretty valid criticism. Why are you looking at this umbilical artery lactate if it's not sensitive or specific to what we really care about, which is you know um, bad outcomes for the baby? And also, um, the other criticism is that the trial simply was not powered for neonatal outcomes. Um, And finally, there is a secondary analysis of the same randomized controlled trial, which looked at the umbilical venous oxygen concentration and, um, paradoxically found lower oxygen pressure in fetuses that were exposed to long periods of oxygenation when compared to those that were only experienced for short periods or for those who were just on room air. So, um... Now that we've looked at the literature, however sparse it may be, on for or against oxygen, what are some of the physiologic um, reasons why we might give oxygen or not give oxygen during labor?
1: Yeah, so you want to head back over, if you haven't listened to our fetal circulation episode, just get a quick review about how blood and oxygen travel in the fetus, um, because it's really central to this part of the discussion, I think. Basically, when babies receive oxygen, again, they're getting it from the placenta at the point of the umbilical vein, and that's where the highest concentration of oxygen is going to be. But that umbilical vein concentration of oxygen can never exceed the maternal venous pressure of oxygen, right? Like that's, even though that's going to be the sort of maximally extracted point for mom... That's really the highest that the fetus saturation is ever going to get. It makes sense then that fetal hemoglobin has to have that very high oxygen affinity because it has to extract oxygen away from venous maternal blood. A normal venous pressure of oxygen in adults, just as kind of putting some numbers to this, is around 35 to 45 millimeters of mercury. And by comparison, arterial air oxygen pressure is around 100 millimeters of mercury. That 35 to 45 millimeters of mercury would equate on a dissociation curve of hemoglobin A to a saturation of somewhere around 65 to 75%. If a fetus is able to extract that oxygen maximally, which in most cases, fetuses are able to do that, that 35 millimeters of mercury of oxygen pressure actually equates out to about an 80 to 90 percent saturation for the fetus. Um, And that's about a normal saturation for fetuses to have. Most O2 saturation values, in fact, at the five-minute Apgar are somewhere around the mid-80 percent. So the question then lies in the fact of by causing maternal hyperoxia by applying oxygen, is that going to ultimately result in fetal normoxemia if the baby previously had been experiencing hypoxia. So we used a lot of oxyas there. But again, by giving mom tons and tons of extra oxygen, is that going to get the baby that's hypoxic to normoxia? By increasing the pressure of oxygen in mom with supplemental oxygen, theoretically we're going to increase the oxygen gradient to diffuse downstream to the fetus because there's more oxygen tension in mom's blood. So there's higher oxygen content in the veins, and thus going to be higher oxygen content that can diffuse across the placenta. But as we discussed with kind of the literature coming out of medicine, sometimes oxygen kind of counterintuitively doesn't improve outcomes even when it's more available or it can mask worsening in the process. So even if the fetus is hypoxic, is it just the ischemic tissue in this case, like in a cardiac arrest? Would this oxygen load be detrimental and lead to free radical damage? Or maybe in like COPD, does normoxemia in the compromised fetus actually mask worsening acidosis? Or maybe as we saw in that last randomized trial that Faye discussed, does oxygen get to the fetus at all, even in conditions of hyperoxia, because there's some sort of placental transfer failure in the presence of hyperoxia? I think those are all really, really valid questions um that we unfortunately don't have the answers to directly.
0: <laughs> I was gonna say, Nick, those are a lot of questions that we don't know the answers to, yeah, so <laughs> um
1: <laughs> I don't know what to tell you, Faye,
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean that's I mean that's a lot of evidence and a lot of questions that we have generated from the evidence that we have, so what should the bottom line takeaway be?
1: I mean, Faye, I think you really said it earlier. You know, you mentioned the fact that oxygen is super, super popular as a resuscitative effort, right? It's quick and easy to apply. So I think as you said, you know, when we see when we go into a room and we see all these other things happening, maybe oxygen should be the last thing that we do. What do you think?
0: I agree too. I mean, you know, we have all of these options that you talked about, right? We can like give amnio infusions, we can reposition mom, we can stop the pit, obviously get fluids, all of these things. So certainly when we have other things that we know can help the baby and can help the tracing, why should we be putting oxygen on first when we kind of have all this conflicting evidence? And I think, you know, the one time where I feel like it would actually be reasonable to place oxygen on is if mom is actually hypoxic.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And again, in hypoxia, oxygen is indicated. But we don't know for, again, fetal hypoxia, if you're viewing the fetus as sort of like this end organ system of whether oxygen is going to be helpful or harmful. And we have other measures that we know can be helpful. So... At least oxygen, I think, should be a last resort type of measure for fetal resuscitation. I think that that kind of concludes this episode, Faye, and I think our opinions sort of like snuck out there, um, but maybe we can summarize this really quickly.
0: Sure. So we first started off by talking about hypoxemia and hypoxia. So again, remember, hypoxemia is low partial pressure of oxygen in the blood, whereas hypoxia is actually the failure of cellular metabolism due to a lack of oxygen in tissues. So while hypoxemia can lead to hypoxia, it doesn't always. Uh, We also talked about the fact that oxygen is a drug, and so therefore there are indications and consequences, just like any other drug. It is definitely warranted in certain situations, like true hypoxia, or particular clinical situations where O2 is helpful, like cluster headaches, but it also does have consequences that we may not expect, including things like worsening outcomes in cases of myocardial infarction, COPD, stroke, traumatic brain injury, and even prematurity. The damage can be immediate, likely due to free radical generation and other oxidative damage, or it can be more suspect, as in the case of COPD, where hyperoxia can cause poor offloading of carbon dioxide and thus lead to hypercarbia and even acidemia.
1: In labor, we will apply oxygen for intrauterine resuscitation due to the theory that by causing elevated oxygen pressure in the maternal circulation, this is going to create a higher gradient that allows for oxygen to diffuse across the placenta and into the umbilical vein. Fetal hemoglobin's affinity for oxygen allows it to effectively extract O2 from the maternal venous blood at a relatively lower O2 pressure. Despite this logic of this theory, studies overall have not really found benefit to oxygen use. And some have even suggested harm to oxygen administration. That said, these studies are mostly small. Very few are randomized, and and even fewer are powered for clinically important outcomes. The bottom line is that you should definitely resuscitate with things with proven benefit, like repositioning, fluids, amnioinfusion, or turning off oxytocin, um, before you apply oxygen, unless you suspect maternal hypoxia as acute event
0: so we really shouldn't be like making appointments well we really shouldn't be making appointments at oxygen bars now because of COVID-19 but you're saying that those aren't really helpful Nick
1: yeah I would have to say so
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right well once again this is Faye this is Nick and this has been Creog's Over Coffee
1: So guys, if you enjoyed the podcast today, head on over to iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, whatever your podcatcher is, give us a five-star rating and review.
0: Go ahead and find us on social media, on Twitter at CriogsOverCoff1, on Facebook and Instagram at over Coffee. Or if you want to support the show, go ahead and go to our Patreon, www.patreon.com slash Coffee. Give us a donation. We'll give you a shout out on the show or some swag.
1: We have references and notes for all of our episodes hosted on our website, www.criogsOverCoffee.com.
0: And if you have a question for us, or a correction for the show, or just want to say hi, send us an email. CreeObserverCoffee at gmail.com.